0: Turn so with me to 2 Corinthians. I think I want to start a new series. I don't know, this may be like today, and then that's it, and that will be a very short lived series. But I endeavor to start a new series kind of along the lines of why we do what we do. I, When you've been in the kingdom a long time, you just assume everybody knows what you know. And that's even dangerous for school teachers. Maybe they're better at it because they realize every year we graduate eighth graders and bring in another set. But sometimes I forget that you're always adding new people to the kingdom or folks who are coming from a different perspective. They don't necessarily know all that you think you do or offer. And uh, so that's why I think it might be good to go through a series of why we do what we do. Why do we tithe? Um, why do we evangelize? I think I've shared a couple of years ago, not long after we took over the church, we had a lady that Dear sister, she's just very immature, older lady. She was offended that I was going to Africa so much to preach. She said, why does Pastor Chris have to go to Africa so much to preach? Doesn't he know there's people here that need to be saved? Never mind the fact that we had two a month door-to-door evangelism. She never went on. And so then we started doing more door-to-door evangelism. And she went once and freaked out. And then she said, well, why do we have to go door-to-door evangelizing? And eventually she actually left our church uh, really to find comfort. Now that's a bad thing when there's a church doing the Word and it makes you uncomfortable. So you find a lesser church that doesn't do as much necessarily Word to find comfort. There should be comfort in doing the Word. Yes, it will be uncomfortable on your flesh. But the peace it purchases for you is a comfort that cannot be ascertained any other way. The peace of God... And I, I, one of the things that bugs me is that our, our churches are too American and less kingdom. And we cannot forget that Americans, our number one God is selfism. The prominent religion of North America is selfism. And so we serve God as we see fit and we go to church when we see fit and we give as we see fit and we run after God as we see fit. And that really is selfism. It's the most popular God in the world, most popular religion, fastest growing because it's all about self. It's selfism. Really it's just called selfish. Yeah. Even as our culture, as Americans, when, when you ask an American, it's totally, this this is what I'm about to describe, is totally inbred into us. We don't even recognize it. That when you, you meet an American, and you say, tell me about yourself, what we begin to do is say, well, my name is Chris, and I have a degree in this, and this is what I do, and, and it's all self, 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 self. You go to other cultures who are not as American, Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm from this tribe, and this is my father, and these are my people. It's all it's an inclusive, communal perspective. And there's some truth to both sides, but it is interesting that when I ask an American, tell me about yourself, it's all about why well, I do this for a living. Well, is that who you are? Or is that just what you do? And I'm a, I'm a geologist, I'm a doctor. Well, that's what you do we have just so far removed from the kingdom. We forget that we're part of a body called the body of Christ and that our life is not our own. And so when we mix the American culture with the church, we get a weak church. And that's why as believers, our job is to constantly go back to the scriptures over and over and over again and begin to study the kingdom's culture and study the kingdom's culture, study the kingdom's nuances, study the kingdom's perspective because God doesn't care about the American nation as far as a culture. Kingdoms rise and fall. I love our nation. I was born in the year of the bicentennial. That's why I can always remember America's 243 years old. Or 247 years old. I can't forget how my wife is 43, 44 this week. So if I'm for, 247, 76, obviously I can't remember. I'm a guy trying to do math on anniversaries. 247 years old. We've got to become more kingdom minded. And really what's at stake is a culture and the American culture is really drowning out the church. When you look at the church, you don't see a lot of Jesus anymore. You see America. You see entertainment. You see fashion. You see a concert and a TED Talk. You don't see worship and the exegeting and expounding of God's Word. You see entertainment. You even have the full-fledged buffet in the foyer. So that now we have dinner and a movie. We have dinner and a TED Talk. It's really like uh, Cirque du Soleil. I've been to churches with acrobats. Uh, I've been to churches, not that, well, I know of a church that had rodeos. I don't know why in the world you have a rodeo in your sanctuary. The term sanctuary means it's a sanctuary. Can you imagine Moses allowing a sanctuary in his sanctuary? I mean, a, r- a rodeo in his sanctuary? Can you imagine Moses allowing, I don't know, jugglers? in the Holy of Holies or in the tabernacle, or Solomon, or Jesus. And yet this is what America does to the gospel in the terms of what's called pragmatism. Whatever it takes. Uh, If you go to seeker-friendly churches or seeker-friendly self-growth conferences, they'll tell you whatever it takes to put butts in the seats. Whatever it takes. Okay, so once you get them there, what are you going to give them? Pagans understand, or at least they used to, and some of them still do, if you go to church, you're going to have to change. Now, the seeker-friendly movement taught the pagans, you don't have to change, just come. Come as you are, stay as you are, go to hell as you are. And that that padded the seeker-friendly preacher's ego because he had the biggest church in the community or the region or in the San Fernando Valley. But that didn't do anything for the believer. I'm thankful that doctors aren't as stupid as seeker-friendly pastors. And you know doctors aren't that stupid because a lot of us fear going to the doctor. Why? Pain. Because something's got to be fixed, probed, inspected, broken, rebroken, stitched, surgery. It's inconvenient. But then at the end of the day, you know if you need it, they're there to fix you. And yet, I don't really see hospitals have to advertise. The best you might see around town is a little blue moniker with a white H and an arrow pointing this way. You don't even know the name. You just know that H means hospital, and if you're bleeding out of some hole, go there, and they'll stitch you up. Not today. Today, the church, we got to advertise. We got to market. We have to buy ad space. We've got to, I don't know, chase trends. We got to have summer at the movies and take pagan movies because the American church is so retarded and narrow-minded in its attention space that we got to take Spider-Man and extract some kind of spiritual truth from it because the book of Nehemiah is just so boring, I guess. And this is what's passed off as America and the American church. And now we export that to the developing nations and and they're raising people from the dead, casting out devils and suffering persecution. And we want to tell them, no, what you need is a fog machine and a purple light. So there's a real issue. I have a real bone of contention and so uh, I guess I want to start off why we do what we do. Uh, maybe this, this sermon is on honor. Yeah. Why do we honor? And the answer is simple, and we can like close up the Bible here, because he's God. Yeah. Yeah. But we couldn't stop there because Americans don't know what honor is. Right. Yeah. We believe in the only form of honor that is popular on social media. That's called self-honor. And Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of John, if I honor myself, which is what social media is all about, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. So now the American standard of honor is nothing. So now we have to retrain the church and God's people what honor is. Honor is paying a high price and a high value, respecting something that's important to you. And you and I, by the lives we live, we demonstrate to God how important he is to us or not. We kind of get this a little bit when it comes to our sports hero or maybe some celebrity, or our spouse, hopefully, we treat them with great respect and honor, if we value them, we, we, we get up and let them have the seat at the table. You're excited to meet a celebrity at the airport or maybe you're out in town in a big town somewhere and you see a celebrity and you're excited and you, you know who they are so you want to act your best and, and be different around them because you want to honor them because they have some, hold some place of respect in your heart. But how, is the, how in the world have we lost that for the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Savior of our soul, the Redeemer of our life, the God of Israel, we've really, we've, he's been through the seeker-friendly marketing department in the last 30 years. And so the Jesus of America is not the Jesus of the Bible. And the deception like Mormonism is people say they serve Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. And that's the problem with Mormonism. They're good moral people, but the Jesus the Mormons serve is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus the Mormons serve is one of many gods who happens just to be a father over this planet. And it's a weird, weird, almost Scientological type cult. They mean well, they're just lost as a goose in a snowstorm. Even the geese say, We should probably land this thing. I'm lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. How did we get here? How did we get to where the church is all about marketing? How do we get to where you walk into a church and it looks like a dinner theater? How do we get to a place where you walk into a church and you're not sure, is it a comedy club? When did the jugglers come out? When does the rock concert start? You know, (laughs) how did we get here? Because the solution's easy. It's return to Christ. It's the warning, the horrific warning of Revelation chapter 2. Return to your first love, or else I will come and take your candle away, your lamp away. Can you imagine churches without light? That's the threat, the promise Jesus Christ made to the Ephesians church in Revelation chapter 2. The Ephesians church, which was Paul's best church, the Ephesians church was at that moment. John the Revelator was the bishop over. That was the church he left to be imprisoned. And the first church Jesus Christ comes swinging for is the Revelator's church. John the Revelator. So you know, when John realizes, holy smokes, I've done a horrible job with my church. All the other little letters I get to uh, Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Laodicea and Philadelphia, they're not nearly as bad as, they're not having a threat that their candle be taken away. That's my church. Return to your first love, which is also why John comes back and writes all of his epistles. They're all about love, 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 love. (laughs) I think you change your tune in your doctrine as well. If you had a divine encounter with God in the first order of businesses, I'm shutting your church down. Well, it fulfills scripture that says the husband must be first partaker of his own fruit. So John's going to see the future of the, the, the millennia and the churches and the first church to be dealt with is his own. How do we get to a place where the church of America has no honor in it anymore? Where the Church of America is chasing the fads and the whims of carnal saints who don't really love God or want God or know God. And then how dare the Church of America say this is the standard? And look at how many we've collected and assimilated. How do we get here? And there's a spiritual law I teach us often that's worth recovering or studying again. Look at Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. But we all with an open face beholding as in a glass, so that is a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We all with an open face, that means no veil, no distraction, no filter, we with an open face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. This is a formula that works in the negative, not just the positive here. The spiritual principle is simple. You become what you behold. 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 So when we look at carnal churches, we're seeing a reflection of the leadership. And the leader looked at something carnal and was transformed into that image. When if we had stuck with the scripture, stuck with prayer, stuck with intercession, stuck with evangelism, we don't need to throw all this money at entertainment spectacle. Just stick with the scriptures. Cirque du Soleil never won anybody to Christ. A magic show in Vegas, a Vegas show, never won anybody to Christ. But they sure do use the same production value. How did a church become carnal? Because somebody in leadership beheld carnality. Or was told by a carnal leader, this is what it's going to take. The, the, the damning term is relevance. Yeah. And I like what one man said this week at this conference I was at. He said, I'm not interested in being relevant. I want to be revolutionary. Yeah. Why be relevant? Why try to keep up with the status quo of the pagan nation? I mean, you do recognize where our nation is headed, right? right. Do you think what the church needs is more entertainment or more repentance? Repentance. Do you think what we need is more TED Talks or more revelation from the Word of God, convicting, preached with the fiery fervency? Do you think what we need is another latte before a service or a nacho bar? I mean, there's churches with nacho bars. How do you even make it through the 20-minute sermon with that much coffee and nacho in you? One old-timer said, sermonettes, which is most of what's preached today, sermonettes produce Christianettes. And we're not called to be Christianettes. And the church, unfortunately, has remained a hospital when we were supposed to be an army. We're supposed to be raising up sons and daughters of God to be soldiers of the cross, to endure hardness like a good soldier for Christ. We have the armor of God, not the pampers of the babes in Christ. <laughs> the armor of God, a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of right, sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace we're supposed to have an armor because there's an enemy in a battle to fight and yet here we are can't wait for the next countdown experience to where we'll be I don't know sun tanned under the purple lights of the UV worship experience coughing up smoke One, another old man of God said the reason they've turned to fog machines is because they've lost the real glory Paul said we all with an open face no filter We're to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We should be changed into the same image. You become what you behold. You and I become what we behold. We become what we behold. You can look at Christians and tell how much time they spend in their Bible. You can look at preachers and churches and see how much the Word of God is exalted there. Because when the Word of God is taught and the Word of God is preached and the Word of God is expounded, it brings a life. It brings a joy. It brings a conviction. It brings an adjustment. It doesn't let you stay the same. It, it, uh, it provides bumpers for your life. It provides bumpers for your appetites. It provides boundaries, and it won't let you go too far into the American culture or too far into the African culture, too far into the Puerto Rican culture, Hispanic culture. It keeps you right in line with the kingdom of God. My spiritual father, Pastor quo, he's in heaven now. He told me one time, he was from Nigeria. He said, God cares nothing about the American culture. And he said, and God cares nothing about my Nigerian culture. He said, brother, God has given us the kingdom's culture. And if you don't spend time in the word, you're not going to know what that culture is. Even for our children raised in this country, it takes 18 or so years to develop the culture. How how do we handle silverware? It's different than the Brits. The Brits think we're animals by the way we do our forks and knives. All right, well, stay on your little island and keep it to yourself. We thank you for your language, now go away. We fought a revolution to eat how we want to. And then if you're Asian, how do you use chopsticks? That takes a couple years to master. Even for children in a natural culture, it takes a long time of breathing it 24-7 to understand Southern culture, SEC football culture, Fourth of July culture, Christmas culture, holiday culture, vacation culture. There's a culture. What about the Christian who never goes to church, who never opens their Bible, who never? What culture will they have? It won't be kingdom culture. It'll be everything else that they're feeding upon. Whatever you're beholding is shaping your image. Whatever you're beholding is shaping your image. We're to be changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When we behold the glory of God, His Spirit does a lot of work in our life. But if all we ever do is behold the world, the Spirit of the world does a lot of work in our lives. And what happens is you go to a church where the Spirit of God is present, and all of a sudden you're not comfortable because you've been trained up in the Spirit of the world and the Spirit of the culture of the world, and that's what you're used to. It's going to feel really weird coming to a holy church, whether it's a Baptist church, a spirit-filled church, a Pentecostal church, a Methodist church, holiness is uncomfortable for carnal people. But when you're holy, you love holiness. When you're a word person, you love the Bible. When, you, when you're a worshiper of God, you love worship. When you give into prayer, man, let's pray some more. When you like evangelizing, let's go knocking on doors. But when all this stuff bugs you, you're carnal. How many things, how many of the practices, how many of the cultural milestones of the kingdom can you reject and still dare call yourself a believer? What are some of our major touchstones of being a Christian? We pray to a God in heaven, the only God there is. We pray in the name of Jesus, his holy son who died for us. We read our Bible, study it, confess it, pray it. We give tithes and offerings because somebody financed the gospel that won us to the Lord. Now we're in debt forever. Yeah. And we tell other people about Jesus because somebody told us, and it's part of the great commission, Amen. the last commandments of our God before he ascended to the right hand of the father. And we attend church and fellowship with the saints and, and we come up and get cleaner. I mean, how many of those can you start divorcing and you're no longer a Christian? Christianity is not a theoretical faith. It's a lived faith. Amen. It's a practiced faith. I, I love how the Catholics say, well, I'm, I'm a Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. Or maybe we should borrow that term and say, I'm a Pentecostal, but I'm not a practicing Pentecostal. I'm a Baptist. I'm just not a practicing Baptist. Well, if you don't practice it, you're never going to get good at it. Why do we honor God? because he's God. And what does honoring God look like? We treat him as though he created everything and he owns us. He owns the earth. He owns the cosmos. He owns our destiny. Why would we not give him everything? We've been lied to by a culture that says, dream a dream and God will bless it. And God already has a dream for us. He has a plan for us. We don't have permission to go chase our dreams. That's an American construct. We don't live for the weekend. One of the shallowest things we ever came up with in America is TGIF. Nobody ever said TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. TGIF, you know why? That's a shallow Christian existence. We don't live for Friday. We live for Jesus. Maybe we say TGHD. Thank God he's God. Thank God I'm saved. Maybe it's TGI. Thank God I'm saved. I, I don't know. And then we you know, sell burgers and make America fat on it. TGIF. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. This verse also tells us that God wants to change us, which means we're not who we need to be yet. We're born again. Yes. We're children of God. Yes. But there's still change required change in your marriage, change in your finances, change in your parenting, change in your health, change in your appetites, change in your mind, change in your how you think and reason, change in your confession, change in your love walk. We're we're to be changed. We're supposed to be changed in the image of God. And we only get so many years to do it. I don't want all my promotion to come when I die. I don't. Yeah, we're going to change when we die. That's, That's wonderful. But I'm not ready to die yet. And you shouldn't wait. You shouldn't hope to be changed when you die. Let's get some changing done now. If we walk with God, he's going to change us. Where's Gadiel? Is Gadiel in here? Gadiel, he's in the back. Gadiel is our resident Cuban. God bless the Cubans. Really, they need help. They live under communism. So Gaddiel got his citizenship a while back. Gadiel is very Cuban. But Gadiel works with Cade. Now, Cade Redman is not Cuban. Cade Redman is cookful. And Cade Redman has certain mannerisms, as we all do. And Cade and Gadielle work together every day. And I noticed something yesterday at the youth conference. Gadiel's mannerisms are taking on Cade's flavor. <laughs> And Gadiel's mannerisms taking on Cade's flavor are a little reminiscent of Brother Chad, Cade's father. And I think, look at this. This Cuban, born and raised in Cuba, is taking on Middle Tennessee just gesticulations. <laughs> now, it's, it's comical. Everybody knows everybody's gesticulations in a family. You know, It's just part of being human. But I'm thinking, if a Cuban working with a Cookville in now, now, Gaddiel is American now, but if a Cuban American working with a Native American, not can't win anymore because you don't know what's PC or not. I mean, I've come to think of it, I'm Native American. I was born here. I was born in Pittsburgh. I'm a Native Yankee. God delivered me to Baton Rouge so I could grow up Southern. Hallelujah, praise Him is right. <laughs> then God delivered me from Baton Rouge. Praise God even more. To Tennessee. So, as a native Tennessee person, if Cade, excuse me, if Gadiel can begin to take on mannerisms, even figures of speech, Gadiel having a Cuban accent has even begun to take on a cookful accent. That's just by walking with a human being eight, 10 hours a day on a job site. Now, shouldn't the same happen to us if we walk with our God? every day? Should we not take on the gesticulations of our Savior, the mannerisms of our Savior, the speech of our Savior, the thought patterns of our Savior? Should we not even pronounce things like our Savior does and see things as our Savior does? It should. How come it doesn't always happen? How how can Gadiel absorb Cade and we somehow are able to resist God? How can a human being absorb without even meaning to the the culture of another human being, and yet we can resist the divine, the eternal, who is supposed to live on the inside of us because we're the temple. How does that even happen? That's terrifying. The question is, do you honor God? Because if you do, you're going to change. Because change honors God. One of the ways we dishonor a natural father is we say we hate you and we want to be nothing like you. Think about how many Christians say, I don't want to be like God. I don't want to be like Jesus. Who are you trying to do? Change me, preacher? Yes. You came to this church. You sat down in that chair that says you want change. That's why we preach. I don't blow smoke up your tailpipe. I'm not here to make you my friend. I'm here to make you more like Jesus. You honor God by saying, Lord, make me like you. Lord, you created me in your image, and now you've begotten me again to a lively hope. Let me be more like my Savior. Show me where I think weird. Show me where I act weird. Show me where I reason weird. Show me, Lord, where I'm carnal. Show me, Lord, where my attitudes displease you. Lord, make me like you. Change me into your image by your Holy Spirit so I can glorify you, because I want to be like my Father. We all know the stereotypical rebellious kid who says, I hate you, Dad, and I want to be nothing like you. Even some kids will change their name so they'll never be known as a McMichael or a Weaver or Odo or whatever your last name may be. We're supposed to change. Yeah. And once you get addicted to change, change is easy. Yes, sir. And you can be changed from glory to glory to glory. Now, let me show you, let me show you something in Philippians real quick, because we're talking about why. Why do we honor God? I like to quote this verse a lot too, Philippians chapter three. Why do we honor God? Because he's God. How do we honor God? By wanting to be like him. We honor God by aiming our life towards him. Too much of the American church uses God as a get rich quick card. We use God as some kind of business endeavor. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Do business with me. Or here in the South, going to church is just punch your little list. Just I'm a Southern, right? or even now the Yankees and the West Coasters are moving into town, and they're just kind of picking up the culture. Got to find a church. Everybody here goes to church. Well, you know there's seven flavors to pick from here. Which one's the easiest? Which one requires the least out of me? Which, is, which one interferes less with my life? I got news for you, honey. God is life. Amen. And if you're looking for a God that interferes less with your life, you're going to hell. Yes. Yes. Because God is God. Amen. He is everywhere. He owns you. Yes. And he can take seven days a week from you if he wants. And we joyfully give him anything he wants because he's our God and he loves us and we have a relationship with him. Philippians chapter three, verse 14, Paul said, I press toward the mark, not I barely fly under the radar. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, the high calling. The Greek says the upward calling. The heavenward calling, it's an upward calling. When you walk with God and honor him, you keep coming up. You come up in your marriage. You come up in your intellect. You come up in your appearance. You come up. There's a life about you. We all know the stereotypes of druggies or homeless folks. You can see a devoid loss of life. Sin sucks the life out of them. They don't even look handsome or pretty. They, they, they smell a certain way because of their homelessness and their sin and their de- demonism. And yet if we run the other end of the spectrum and we walk with God, he said he'd beautify the meek with salvation. There's a glory that comes upon you. And he would supply our needs. He would fatten our bones and take care of us. There's a reward to be had in serving God. But it's an upward calling, which is why so few folks really want it. Because it's upward. It's inconvenient. We aim to serve God, and serving God is inconvenient. And as long as you're prepared for inconvenience, it's never inconvenient. And when you truly love, love is never inconvenienced. When you're looking forward to the beach, you don't mind the 15-hour drive. God forbid if it's through Atlanta, because that's four hours of the 15. Aim for that at 2 a.m. When you're looking forward to the beach, you don't mind the 15-hour drive with four kids in the car. When you hate the beach, you hate everything about the drive and the beach. (laughs) We joke about many times, when you're in love with that girl, you'll drive home on the weekend two states just to have a date with her. When you're in love with her and you're trying to win her, you'll drive home from Arkansas all the way to North Carolina over the weekend just to see her. Then you get married and 20 years later, you won't walk across the bedroom to give her a smooch because it's inconvenient. Same with our God. When you're in love with them, you'll come to every church service. You'll read your Bible after church. You'll pray. You'll witness to anybody. Once you've been saved about 10 years, you're like, eh, they should just be happy I showed up once this month. And behold, he stands at the door and knocks and says, if you'll let me in, we can have a meal again. There will always be easier churches in town, and I will never be that church. Because I want to serve God. I want to demonstrate to him by my life and my zeal that I appreciate what he did for me. Saving me. Redeeming me. Giving me a wife. Giving me children. Honoring me. This verse 14 says, I press toward the mark. That's every Christian's calling. Are you pressing? We honor God by pressing towards his standard. When you honor your boss, you do the work he assigns to you the way he wants you to do it. That's how you honor the boss. You do the job he gives you the way he wants it done. Otherwise, you get fired. What? I'm not saying God's going to fire you, but you'll certainly grieve him and frustrate him. God gives you a life and a standard to live for, but you don't aim for it. Why not aim for a high standard in Christ? No matter what your standard is, there's always more to be had because we're finite and he's infinite and he's always raising the standard. I press towards that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature be thus minded. If we're mature, mature Christians are thus minded. Mature Christians strive towards that upward calling. Mature Christians say, I don't know where that top is, but I'm still aiming for it. Mature Christians say, I've not read the Bible enough. Mature Christians say, I don't know the Bible enough. Mature Christians say, I need to pray a little bit more. Mature Christians say, I need to witness to somebody again. Mature Christians say, I need to see if there's something else I can do to help somebody in the church. Mature Christians are thus minded. And the inference is, if you're not thus minded, you're not mature. And that's all right. Just don't stay there. My children are 11, 9, and 5. I don't expect my 5-year-old to lay down his life for his home. I expect him to lay down his life for a G.I. Joe. (laughs) My 11 year old is growing up. I don't expect her to be as mature as her mother. But if she isn't halfway mature in another 10 years, we got issues. Some Christians don't want to grow up, they're freeloaders. They just want to get to heaven by the seat of their pants. And if that's your attitude today, you may not make heaven. I am not a once saved, always saved guy. I don't believe the scriptures support it. I don't see scripture for eternal security. I don't mean to disrupt your salvation or your soteriology. We can debate it at another time, but how many doctrines can you turn off? How many Christian activities can you shut down and still justify calling yourself a saint? The Baptist would say well maybe you were never saved to begin with. I don't care what you call it. If you're truly born again, there's something in you that says I want to know my God. I want to know my God. I want to come up higher. I want to honor him. I want to give him everything I've got. Go with me to 1 John. How do we honor our God? Why do we honor our God? Number one is because he's God. But then how do we honor our God? Well, we honor him by seeking him. We honor him by striving towards that high call. We honor him by changing. 1 John chapter 3. Verse two, beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is called the great hope. This is a, a verse talking about the resurrection of the dead. When we shall see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, same hope that Titus chapter two talks about, every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as Jesus is pure. How do we honor our God? By cleaning up, purifying yourself, cleaning up your appetites, cleaning up your music appetites, cleaning up your visual appetites, cleaning up your food appetites. This is an obese nation. Not to pick on anybody, but we have to cover this from time to time. Real pastors cover every issue of life. We're anointed to instruct and feed God's people in knowledge and truth. So purification also means cleaning up your food appetites. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a spiritual concept that says you only need so much bread today. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm going to look at the pregnant lady. She's supposed to be getting bigger. She has a baby growing. Even the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. That means God only gives you as much as you need today. So that might be a prayer worth praying if you want to lose weight. Because the reason we gain weight is we take more than our daily bread. We take more than we need. Now, the other concept that's worth noting, you and I, hopefully, don't shoplift. Right. Right? Hopefully. Now, maybe you did in your past, and your past should be more than yesterday behind you. (laughs) There's all sorts of stuff we see at the store that we like, but we know that's not mine. I can't afford it. It's not mine to have today. Maybe I should save up. But we don't take it. We've been drilled in us as children. You don't take what's not yours. You don't take what's not yours. I think every one of us stole candy or something as a kid. Kids have to learn, don't take what's not yours. It's a conviction. Nobody has to remind you at the store, don't steal that. But we don't teach that concerning food. Don't take that. You don't need that. Don't take that portion. It's not yours to have. You don't need it. God has not allotted that for you today. We kind of justify it because we live in the land of abundance and, you know, I got to eat to live. Yeah, but not that much. You don't need that much to live. So again, I'm not, I'm not here to pick on anybody. I want to help us. And pastors don't want to touch this because the American church is a third obese and that steps on people's toes. But if I love you, I got to give you a truth to kind of help you. You've tried everything else. Let's mix some scripture, some spiritual principles and some prayer in this thing. And if you look at food and say, is this my daily bread or did I exceed that at lunch? It's simple caloric budget. Now, genetics and whatever aside, you only need so many calories a day. That's your daily bread. You can earn more by going and running 20 miles or by going and doing cardio, whatever you do. I get it. But just consider that. Pray that. Lord, give me this day my daily bread. Lord, help me see what my daily bread is. That's a prayer of provision and limited sustenance. We get obese by exceeding our daily allotment of sustenance. And in one regard, it's just dietary shoplifting. That's maybe an extreme concept, but... Nobody tells you, don't take that. It's not yours. But there's a lot of wrangling at the dinner table, at the buffet. Should I take that? Oh, I think there's a little bit. Let me pull my pants up. Let me undo my belt. Oh, I think there's more room. Just trying to help us. The American church is one third obese, and it's not healthy. We don't hate anybody. I don't care what you look like. I just want you healthy. And the Bible does talk about a fruit called. Self-control. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Verse three, every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Another way we honor our God is by purifying our lives. So you purify all your appetites. That means time appetite. Don't waste time. Music appetite, that's self-explanatory. Entertainment appetite, that's self-explanatory. Book appetite, you can get into... Let me just give you my two cents worth. I'm not really sure how much I support Christian romance novels. It just feels icky, doesn't it? I've had to help a lady or two in the church who got addicted to Christian romance novels and they activated lust in her life. That may not do the same thing to everybody, but my point is judge it. And if if you're discontent as a single person, you don't need to be reading Christian romance novels. That just feels a little weird. It's like if you struggle with alcohol, don't live next to the liquor store. All right. Purify yourself. We honor God by keeping his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my words. This nation has lost honor. We don't honor the president. We don't honor the military. We don't honor the police. We don't honor veterans. We honor self. The biggest movement socially in the last 100 years has been social media, and social media is all about self-honor. Me, me, me. How many followers can I get? It's a race to accumulate people, and it's been addicted and uh, embraced by the churches and the churches. How many people can I get? How How many folks can we win for Jesus? What will you do? To honor God and I guess maybe another thing we do is we give God our best the Bible teaches us actually let's go to uh, Ephesians I'm jumping around this morning because what I, I'm trying to communicate to us is what it takes to be a God pleasing set of believers the Bible tells us that with, with all that we have to do we do as unto the Lord in Ephesians chapter 6 Verse five says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Verse five, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. We honor Christ by doing everything he gives us to do with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, with singleness of heart. That means on your job, you serve God with everything you've got. You serve your boss as if his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Even if you're sucking out septic tanks, it's a pretty gross job. (laughs) <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, we had to replace some sewer line out here. So we had one of the local sewer companies out there. And the man had his teenage boy out there just tearing with a mini excavator into the sewer line. And it, it smelled bad. It smelled so bad. It's just raw sewage and old clay tile. So I don't think you know what happens when you flush the toilet. You just create little rafts that run down pipes So that's what they dug into. And it stunk. And all of us that were out there were going, whew, that smells. And the the, the owner said, son, tell those men what that smells like. Smells like money, dad. (laughs) Smells like money. That's right, son. (laughs) I even did see a septic tank company one time that says your poop is our bread and butter. makes you appreciate whatever you do for a living, doesn't it? Hallelujah. I won't complain another day this summer. (laughs) Hallelujah. I worked construction for many years and I hated those for those guys that had to come out and suck out the porta Johns in August. You say, oh, here comes the septic trunk. Move away. Far away. Appreciate what he did because it cleaned it up for another two or three days. But whatever you do, the Bible says we do it as unto Christ. We honor him by doing our jobs unto Christ. Now, again, if God's not real to you, you're going to fail anything I've given you so far. You're not going to purify yourself. You're not going to strive for him. You're not going to work for your boss, who could be a total jerk and a total pagan. You're not going to serve him as unto Christ because you don't know Christ, and it's not real to you. But how do we honor our God? By doing these things the New Testament tells us. We can do it as unto Christ, not with eye service. That's the guy that only works hard when the boss is around. That's a scoundrel. You don't want that person working for you. If you're a business owner, get rid of that person. Maybe have a talk with them, then get rid of them. But the commandment says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Wait, you just said I was working for a boss. Yeah, but you're the servant of Christ. Serve that boss as though he were Jesus Christ. Let the heart be Tomorrow morning. I'm getting up and I'm going to go work for Johnny Poopsucker and I'm going to do my job for him as unto the Lord. And God will honor you. I'm going to go cut grass as unto Jesus. When I graduated college and had to work at Lowe's, because they couldn't get a degree or get a job for me, I, I, my heart literally said these things. I said, I'm going to stock shelves at Lowe's as though I work for a small Jewish carpenter's carpentry store. And I would just stock shelves at Lowe's, and I would make sure my numbers were perfectly Legible, because a lot of those guys were jack legs and just scribbled them because they didn't want to be there in the first place. But this was the only job God trusted me with. Do you realize that you're where God has you? This is where he trusts you. So you should serve him as though he knows where you're at, because he does. My heart kept saying, I'm just going to serve as unto the Lord Jesus. I'm going to stock shelves and sell weed eaters like I'm doing it for Jesus, because I am doing it for Jesus. Even though I thought that job was way beneath me, because you have a degree in science and you're selling weed eaters. It's really humiliating. He says, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. This is how we honor God. By everything we do, we do it as unto him. Cut your grass as unto the Lord. Take care of your car as unto the Lord. Fix a meal as unto the Lord. Do everything with excellence as unto God. There ought to be a distinction between us now that we're in Christ and those that don't know him. The heart of what I wanted to preach this morning is being born again should bring a transformation to your life. There ought to be a distinction between our church buildings and secular institutions. There isn't anymore. You can't tell the difference. Even the names of our churches are secular. The hip. The vibe. Is this a nightclub? Is this a gay club? Stiletto. What is that? Is that a drag show? You can't even tell that they're churches anymore because preachers are ashamed to represent the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. So that's why I salute churches that still say, church. There's no confusion about what that is. Church. And you walk in and you're like, well, this feels sacred in here. This feels holy in here. This doesn't feel like the coffee bar I was just at. If I want coffee, I go to the coffee bar. If I want God, I go to his house. If I want free samples, I go to Sam's Club. (laughs) If I want bagels, I go to Panera. But if I come to the house of God, it it ought to specialize in God, not God plus the house of God ought to be sacred. Everything we do for him ought to be distinct and set apart from the world. I taught you, if you were to ever be in the ancient Negev desert or the Sinai peninsula in the time of Moses, and you were to come across the tabernacle, it would be stark and distinct, made out of sheer white linen curtains, 75 feet by 150 feet. Such a stark difference between the dusty brown desert and this sacred tabernacle in the middle of nowhere. An oasis to God with a pillar of fire coming out of it day in and day out and the incense arising and you could smell the burnt sacrifice. You knew something sacred was taking place there. You didn't walk into it going, is this a meat market? Is this a circus? You guys got jugglers here? There was no confusion when you approached it. None. If we're going to be Christians, our lives must be different. Our homes ought to be different. The way we run our businesses must be different. The peace in our homes must be different. How we carry ourselves, even how we dress, should be different. There ought to be a demarcation that the the mark of Christ is upon us. All these folks are terrified about the mark of the beast. Well, Why would you be worried about that if it's it's obvious you've received the mark of Christ? They ought to be able to see it on you. There are some folks I witnessed to, and I'm shocked, to find out they're Christians. And then doubly shocked to find out they're worship leaders. And then I think, maybe I shouldn't anymore. Friday night, I got home from the youth conference and I got home and my wife and my kids were worshiping God on YouTube. Uh, They were pulling up just worship songs and, you know, it's free access to it. So there are all these videos. You know, everybody produces a music video for their worship song, which is fine, you know. Great songs. Love all the songs we were doing. My kids love them. And if my kids are standing up, lifting their hands to the Lord, I don't, whatever. Let's worship God. And then they all got to pick a song and they worshiped together. And and the anointing of God was in our little living room there. And when we got done, it's time to brush our teeth and get the kids ready. Uh, My Abigail, nine years old, she said, Daddy, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, sweetie. You don't even have to ask. Just ask. She said, all those videos we just watched, why do those worship leaders look like they just got them out of the crowd? It's my nine-year-old. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, none of those worship leaders, none of them look like they serve Jesus. I said, well, there's a good reason for that. She said, what is it? (laughs) I said, okay, there's a couple reasons for this. She said, what are they? I said, well, you know, my lightning fast brain is trying to figure out how to answer a nine year old as to things that absolutely grate on my soul concerning the kingdom. (laughs) Because her next question is then, why do we use their music? And I can't tell you that two of the bands we worship to have fornication and drugs in their team. Can't tell her that because she doesn't know what fornication is yet. I said, well, it could be that these musicians who love God are baby Christians and they're still working out some stuff. She said, then why are they in leadership? It's a good question. Deserves an answer. Don't have it. I said, it it could be that they're from a different part of the country that sees style and fashion a little bit differently. And and that's why they're dressed this way. And I just found it interesting, because we don't talk to our kids about that. We come to church. You know, around the house, I dress like a hippie, because I'm a recovering hippie. (laughs) Wear flip-flops and pants that I get made fun of for wearing, and I have a kilt, and you know, and I don't wear that around the house. Please don't think I, like... (laughs) But I do have a kilt, and I do backpack in it every year. And I wear, like, a, you know, just dumb stuff. I just because I'm a hippie, former hippie, recovering hippie, still a little hippie. But she gets it. She's a nine year old. She realizes there should be a standard in the house of God. And I said, well, maybe their, their fashion is a little bit different where they're from. And it just bugged her. She said, like, she said, so she, we were watching it. She said, this person doesn't look like they serve God. And and looks like they just drug him out of the crowd. In her heart, she knows that the, the body of Christ should be distinct from the world. How does a nine-year-old get that? Yeah. Now, you can say, well, that's a little legalistic. But if you know the scriptures, you know the scriptures are constantly leaning against cultural standards to make the church distinct. It begins in Leviticus 19. We're talking about how to honor God. Leviticus 19 has a commandment that says, don't cut the sides of your hair. Well, that's why the Hasidic Jews have these curls. His Hasidism or Hasidism is is the devout ones. Uh, they kind of predated the Pharisees, but they were very strict adherents to the law. But the whole reason the Lord gave that commandment is because the Baal worshippers, the priests, shaved their head almost like a redneck trucker would. So you know where they have no hair. So that was something the Lord taught the Jews: do this, leaning against them, so you don't look anything like them. And then we talked about recently in Corinthians, uh, Paul says in uh, chapter eleven that women should pray with their head covered. Otherwise it's like they have a shaved head. It's two different references there. One, the temple prostitutes have shaved heads and everybody in Corinth knew that was unacceptable. Nothing wrong with a shaved head. I think if you're a woman and you can look pretty with a shaved head, then you must be a gorgeous woman because some women need lots of hair. (laughs) But that's a cultural reference where he says, if you don't pray with your head covered, you might as well have a shaved head, which is to say you might as well be a temple prostitute. That's a Corinthian cultural issue. But what's the whole issue with praying with your head covered? Well, there's other priestesses that would uncover their head to prophesy in the temples. And so he says, I don't want you to be like those guys either. So they're dealing with two extremes and he's using it to address the issue that's causing turmoil in the church. He wanted the church at Corinth to be distinct from anything else going. That's why he also, before he transitions to talk about communion, says, but if any man seem to be contentious concerning these customs, we have no such custom, neither do the other churches. You know it's a cultural issue, but we have a strict commandment on hair, shaved heads, or covered heads based on leaning against the pagan culture of the era. Same there with uh, 1 Timothy 3 in the church at Ephesus, which is Turkey and not over there in Greece where Corinth is. And he says, I don't want women to braid their hair or put pearls in it. What's wrong with braiding your hair with pearls? Well, that's something that the priestesses did at the Artemisian, worshiping Artemis, Diana. Nothing wrong with braided hair of pearls, but when you start looking like you're worshiping a goddess called Diana, let's not do that. So, so much of what we deal with is, let's not look like the world. Then 1 Peter 3 sums it up beautifully. If you want to honor God, dress as women confessing holiness. Just, why do you have to dress like the world? So, the final answer I gave my daughter I said, cause she's a musician and she's getting really good at nine and I can see where God's going to take her. I said, well, here's something you need to know that you don't know yet. Musicians are notoriously weird. <laughs> right? Ms. Amy, right? Michael, you guys are all musicians. Brother Chad, you're a musician. All the musicians say, Amen. you guys are all very musical. I don't know what it is. Why are musicians so weird? Well, I told one of the worship leaders this past week, she did a wonderful job out in Iowa. I said, sweetie, you did awesome. Let me encourage you. You sit in the seat of Satan. (laughs) He's not happy. I kept trying to encourage her. I don't know if it was encouraging. (laughs) You did awesome. I love you. You're anointed. You're getting so good. Your voice blesses me. You sit in the seat of Satan and he's not happy about it. You took his place, worshiping God. So he's going to mess with you. So stay humble. She quietly walked away. Thank you, Pastor Chris. And they walked away. <laughs> and I like thought, maybe I should have thought about how I worded that a little bit better. <laughs> I told my daughter. I said, musicians are notoriously weird, and they always have this ego thing where they have to use something to distinguish themselves. So I said, sweetie, if I always wore hot pink shoes as a pastor, what would I be known as? She said, the preacher with hot pink shoes. I said, yeah. I said, if I had like a mohawk and a green mullet, what would I be known as? She'd say, will you be the preacher with a mohawk and a hot green mullet? I said, as it is, what am I known for? She said, you are just, Pastor Chris, you're the teacher. I said, yes, I'm known for the gift God gave me. I'm not known for how I dress. I'm not known for my hairstyle. I'm not known for my, my glasses or my beard. And then Lydia, my oldest, said, well, you said that, Daddy, but... You have some guest ministers in that we know for other things. And I said, Well, who? She said, Pastor Ingolf from Germany. I said, Well, what do you know him for? She said, Big glasses and strong cologne. (laughs) He's European. We'll give him a pass. (laughs) Because he does wear clunky glasses and he wears strong cologne. But he's German. You got to forgive him. They do a lot of things very strong over there. So I said, Sweetie, a lot of these folks dress like the world because they're insecure. And they want to be known for being cool. And I said, and we're not going to be known for being cool. We're going to be known for Jesus. So what is the way we honor God? We let him be glorified through our giftings that he has given us. We don't try to equalize with the world. We don't adopt the world's things and the world's styles. We don't, if, it, if it looks like the world, let's move away from it. If it's trending with the world, let's move away from it. I've taught you the reason I don't do thumb rings, though they're trendy again, is 25 years ago when I had a thumb ring, so did all the gays. And I didn't realize it. Well, so I don't want to be associated with that. So I take the thumb ring off. The thumb ring's neither here nor there. Same with nose studs and septum studs today. I have a big problem with them, though they seem to be incredibly trendy. That's what all the sexual assault victims wear. That's what all the homosexuals wear. You can't meet a transgender without seeing a nose stud. They talk about nose studs in the Bible. The Hindus worship devils, and the nose stud indicates what demon they worship. That's why in South Africa with Pastor Casey who actually just messaging me, when the Hindus convert to Christianity, he makes them take their nose stud out because that signifies what demons they worshiped in their Hinduism. The, 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 the jewelry's neither here nor there. The hairstyle's neither here nor there. Shoes are neither here nor there. But what, what's the purpose behind it? Are we trying to draw attention to ourselves or to Christ? We honor God by pointing people to him. We honor God by being made known for the gifting He's given us. The gift of hospitality, the gift of grace, the gift of know, edification, exhortation, teaching, whatever your grace gift is, that's what you're supposed to be known for. It's insecurity when you have to be known for the leather jacket. You have to be known for the fancy watch. It's insecurity, it's pride. When you have to be known for the two nose studs and the septum ring. I mean, like, listen, if you want to look like livestock, that's between you and God, but it looks bad for the rest of us. We honor God by giving him everything and saying, Lord, may I decrease that you might increase. May I decrease that you might increase. May I be non- unknown that you might be known. He said, let's wrap this up and we'll pray here in a minute. He said, verse seven, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that Whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. We do everything as unto the Lord because the Lord will give us a reward. The Lord will give us a reward. We come to church with our very best because we do it as unto the Lord. We give our very best in offering because we do it as unto the Lord. When we serve and take care of the babies, we prepare ourselves and pray up, even though it's going to be a two-hour service with kids that aren't ours, we do it as unto the Lord because those are the Lord's kids. Whether we're working security or parking lot, we do it as under the Lord because it's his church and his people and we'll receive of the Lord a reward. We honor our God because he is God, but we honor our God by all these different methods. What gets in the way though is selfishness and we're all guilty of it. You and I have to judge ourselves. How well are we honoring our God that saved us? He honored us with the gift of his son. He honored us with salvation. He honored us that when we cried upon his name, he said, here am I. I have come to save you. He honored us, and now the rest of our life must be given to honoring him. So I guess my closing question is where, ask yourself, where am I failing to honor my God? Where am I failing to honor my God? And listen, I don't care about thumb rings, and I don't care about no studs, I don't care about purple hair or pink shoes. Where are you honoring God, and where are you honoring yourself? I don't care if you come to church in flip-flops and a Bermuda shirt, just put on some britches, come to church and honor God. And as you walk with him, he'll start to require more things of you. He will require so much more of you, but yet he'll, the reward will be even greater. We honor God because he's God. And somebody needs to still know who he is in the earth before he gets made into a totally different God. Amen.